How you doing, desperation? Nudge your neighbor on your left and say, you're looking all right. Nudge your neighbor on your right and say, thank you for using deodorant. (laughs) Man, that was some amazing worship. Can we give United Pursuit one more big round of applause? It was incredible. It is so good to be here. I need to know who I'm talking to. Where are all the junior hires at? If you're junior high age, will you shout? See, the crazy thing was like half those were guys, but that's what junior high guys sound like. Woo! Don't worry, guys. You're going through puberty, okay? You won't sound like that forever. Where are all the high schoolers at in the house? Yes. Lots of high schoolers. I want to know where the over 18 college young adults... Come on. You're young, you're free, you're single, you're ready to mingle with Jesus, of course. But for what it's worth, I met my wife at a conference just like this one 13 years ago. Just saying, okay? Just saying. You could find Jesus and find the one all at Desperation Conference, okay? But it's not that kind of desperation, right? We're desperate for Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It is so good to be here from sunny Seattle. That was a joke and you didn't even know it. We, um, it actually only rains twice a year in Seattle, once for three months and once for six months. And it is so good to see the sun here in Colorado. And from what I've heard, I think the most radical young people in the whole state are right here tonight in this auditorium. That's what I'm talking about. It's good to be here, and uh, I brought with me my younger brother. He's almost as good looking as me, not quite, but Jordan, can you stand up? This is Jordan, my little brother right here, is with me. He's one of our worship leaders. And uh, before I go any further, I just want to give honor to whom honors do. We're going to get to the message in a little bit. We're going to have some stories. It's going to, we're going to have a fun time tonight. How many think you can have fun in church? Yeah. But I just want to honor, um, I, I met David Perkins, gosh, a little over a year ago, I think now. And uh, we met over in Atlanta, Georgia at a thing called the Cadre. We were hanging out and we only had about 48 hours together, but we got to know each other really well in 48 hours. And I tell you something, I fell in love with uh, this guy's heart, with who he is, his passion, his spirit. I just met his brother today, which is like his twin. And uh, the Perkins brothers are doing something amazing here in New Life in Colorado. And can we honor the Perkins? Come on, can you give them honor? It's incredible. And of course, it's so good to see Brandon meet his lovely wife. Moved up from Louisiana. Come on, man. I saw your dance moves in here, bro. Colorado ain't ready for you yet. I'm telling you. That was good right there. That was some soul. Come on. He's like one of five black people in this whole auditorium. I'm telling you. (laughs) 
what, what? You know it's true. It's I love that guy right there. And, uh, and I, haven't, I haven't had the honor of meeting um, Pastor Brady, but I just want to honor, of course, the senior pastor of this house that believes in this generation, that believes in this conference. And so many other friends are here. Miss Carrie Job is in the house. You guys will get to <laughs> She was hoping I wouldn't say anything. I won't point her out, but she's in the second row right there. Anyway. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here, and I left my family at home. I've been doing youth ministry now for over 12 years, and I've uh, been married to my, the love of my life for almost 13 years now, and I think we have a picture of my family. You can see who I left back home. That is my wife and my babies. That's just us on a Wednesday afternoon. That's just kind of what we do. That's how we dress in Seattle. I don't know how you dress here, but... It's my wife, Anne-Marie, and uh, my oldest daughter, Esther, is about to turn 11. My other daughter, Ellie, is eight. Ethan Warrior, on the bottom, just turned six. And my little Z-Max, his name's Ezekiel Maximus. Ezekiel Maximus, we call him Z-Max. And Z-Max is two and a half, and he just tears up the place anywhere he's at. And uh, man, my wife looks good. Okay, you better take that down. Too many guys are looking at my wife. Take that down. Okay. That's my family, and uh, it's good to be here. If you're ever in Seattle, come out to the city church and visit us, and we'll have, we'll have a party uh, Seattle style. All right. Are you ready for the Word of God tonight? Now, this is called the Desperation Conference. Do y'all love the Bible? How many think the Bible's so much better than the whole Harry Potter series? The Twilight series don't got nothing on the Word of God. Even the Hunger Games. Forget Hunger Games. I want to be hungry for Jesus. If you got your Bible, I want you to open it up to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. It's in your Old Testament. And I want to read just a short story out of Joshua chapter 3. And God's going to do something powerful here tonight. I can feel it. Y'all are so pumped. It's like they gave you guys Red Bull when you came through the door. It's like, my goodness. They take communion using Red Bull here in Colorado. Something. Joshua chapter 3, are you there? If you don't have a Bible, I think we might have a sky Bible for you or something like that up for the screen. So... Joshua 3 verse 1 says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp. They commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Somebody say, go after it. Now I want you to skip down to verse 14. Here's where it gets really good. It says, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest. 
that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that's beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Somebody say that's good stuff. If you're taking notes tonight, I want to title this text, the savior steps in, the savior steps in, nudge your neighbor, say somebody's stepping in, the savior steps in. Now, I don't know about you, but I love summertime more than any other season. It's about the only time that Seattle gets sun. And honestly, if you've ever been to Seattle, a sunny day in Seattle, there's no place like it. It's beautiful. And we all go to the water. I don't know if you guys have water. I haven't seen any bodies of water around here, but we've got lakes and we've got the Puget Sound. We've got islands. We've got all kinds of water. And I love to find myself a good beach. How many of y'all love the beach? You love the beach. Some beach lovers here. I love the beach. And a couple of years ago, my wife and I took a trip down to a beach on the Washington coast and we're just enjoying the sunny day. And it was one of these beaches I'd never seen before where you can actually drive your car onto the beach. Have you ever seen this before? They'll actually let you drive your car onto the beach. So I thought, I got to do this, man. This looks awesome. But the the thing that, that happened that day, though, was all the cars that were going on the beach were all these big trucks, big SUVs rolling out on that soft sand onto the beach. That posed a bit of a problem. Because I didn't have a big truck or an SUV. I had a 2000 Dodge Neon. Anybody know what a Dodge Neon is? Some Dodge Neon drivers in here. A Dodge Neon is not a big truck. It's not a big SUV. It doesn't have big tires. It's a very little vehicle. In fact, you want to know why they call it a Neon? It's because when you're six foot two like me and you try to get into the car, your knees on the steering wheel, your knees on the dash, your knees on the radio, your knees on everything. Come on, that was cheesy, but it was still good. All right. (laughs) I'll laugh at my own jokes. I don't even need you to laugh at my jokes. I'll laugh at my own jokes. I was in this little front wheel drive neon. I said, babe, my wife's there. I said, babe, we are driving on the beach. She said, you're crazy. There's no way we're driving on the beach. I said, no, no, no. Watch me. Watch me. I can do this. We can do this. And so I backed my car up on the street so I'd get plenty of momentum when I hit that sand. And I backed it up and these other trucks are going by and I'm just revving my engine. Come on, Fast and Furious style, baby. Like, let's go. And all of a sudden, I kick it into gear and I go flying down the street. I get about 35, 40 miles an hour when I hit that sand on the beach. And I was feeling so confident. I'm like, yes, we're on the beach, baby. We're not a big truck or an SUV, but it's okay. I got the neon. We're doing this thing. And we were rolling on that sand and we got slower and slower as the sand got thicker and thicker. And eventually we came to a stop. But this guy didn't give up right here. My wife freaked out. She's like, great, you got to suck. I'm like, babe, come on. Who are you talking to right now? I'll get us out of this. And so I'm putting it in first and I'm revving it forward. I'm putting it in reverse and I'm putting it in first. And I'm putting it in reverse. I'm trying to rock the car on the inside of the car. 
And all of a sudden, I see sand flying up by the passenger window and the driver's side window. And I can see us getting deeper and deeper into the sand as I'm revving it forwards and backwards. Pretty soon I look outside and now there's a crowd of locals that have gathered and they've got their phones out and they're Instagramming pictures of us. And so in the moment, I just thought, okay, I got I to gotta do this. I said, honey, we're going to get out of this. Get, get out of the car. Get out of the car. So she gets out of the car. I said, honey, honey, I yelled at her. I said, go to the back and start rocking the car. And so now imagine this picture. Here I am. I'm in the driver's seat making my wife push this vehicle as we're rocking back and forth, getting deeper and deeper in the sand. Now I've got more people taking pictures and posting it on Twitter. Finally, after about five minutes, some of the locals stopped taking pictures and they decided to come over and, and help a guy out. And about four or five guys came over and they pushed and they rocked and they pushed and they rocked. And finally, we got this car up out of this little rut that I had been in and we got back onto the street. Somebody say hallelujah. I learned a lesson that day. Do not take a little front wheel drive car onto the beach. Come on, somebody. But as I was struggling in the sand that day, getting deeper and deeper into a mess, into a rut, it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to me about how this happens spiritually to many of us as Christians. When we get in a place in our walk with God where we feel like we're in a rut, we get in a place in this journey with Jesus where we feel spiritually like we're not moving forward, we're not getting anywhere. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. Your devotional life feels like it's in a rut. Your faith feels like it's in a rut. Your ability to dream and have vision for your future feels like it's stuck in a rut. You don't feel like you're going anywhere. And even when you try to work harder and harder at getting out of this rut, you just seem to get deeper and deeper in this stuck place. Well, let me tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You didn't come to Desperation Conference just because your mama signed you up for this thing. You didn't come to this just to check out the hot guy down the row from you. I'm telling you, God placed you in this conference so he could get you out of a rut and get you out of a place that you've been stuck in, and you're going to go home so changed that people won't even recognize you. You're going to get smacked so hard by the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, your mama's going to notice something's different on you. Your school's going to notice something's different on you. Your Facebook friends are going to notice something's different on you. And tonight, if you're feeling like you've been stuck in a rut, let me tell you something. There's somebody that is bigger and stronger than me or any pastor or preacher, and he's here tonight. His name is Jesus, and he can get you out of any rut. He can get you unstuck. He can get you unstuck. One of the biggest ruts that all of us get into at times is a rut called shame. I want to talk about this. It's an epidemic that I see happening right now in youth across America. Because shame is a wrong perception of yourself. Shame is a false identity. Shame is a lie from the pit of hell. We've all had shame. How do I know that? Because every single one of us in this auditorium have sinned. 
The two things that are common amongst every single person sucking oxygen in this room right now is we've all sinned and we all need a savior. That's what unites all. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what your hairstyle is like. It doesn't matter if you like baggy jeans or skinny jeans or what kind of music you listen to. All of us have sinned and all of us need a savior. And because we've sinned, shame has set in at some point in our life. We've all got a past. You've got to determine tonight is your past going to be a source of guilt for you or is your past going to be a source of glory for God thank you for the golf clap hang on let me say that again and let me explain what I'm talking about your past can either be a continual point of guilt for you, reminding you of the bad person you were, reminding you of the mistakes that you made last week, last month, last year. It can be a constant point of guilt, or it can be a constant point of giving God glory by looking at your past and realizing, look what the Lord has done. Look where I came from. I was all jacked up last year before Desperation Conference. I was all messed up before this weekend, but God did something to me at Desperation Conference, and now my past has to to give God the glory. It will not give the devil the glory. It will not be a source of guilt and shame. It has to give Jesus glory. Come on. Even your past can bring praise to the Savior. Oh, that was good. Even your past. We all have a history, but it doesn't disqualify you from your destiny. And tonight, I came from Seattle to pick a fight. (laughs) Because shame, you see, see, guilt causes you to see your past failures. Shame causes you to see yourself as a failure. Guilt causes you to focus on the mistakes you've made. Shame causes you to think that you're a mistake. That you're unworthy. That God can't use you because of what you've done, that you are, you're, you're used goods. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I remember years ago, I broke a, a cell phone. I have a history of breaking cell phones. And I remember I went to the store and they asked me, they offered me a new phone for a, a lot of money. And they also offered me a refurbished phone. Do you know what a refurbished phone is? I don't even know if they still do this anymore, but they said, we can give you, it's, it's a used phone that was all jacked up, but we, we put new parts in it and it's, it's used, but it's refurbished. And so I went for the refurbished phone cause it was a bit cheaper, but every, I wasn't proud of my phone anymore. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's just, it's used. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like getting hand-me-downs from your big brother, or big sister. You know, you got to wear the shirts that your sister wore that were cool 10 years ago, but they ain't cool right now. Come on. I'm talking to somebody. I had to use this phone that was refurbished. And I think some of us think that that's how God treats us. That when we mess up and he rescues us out of sin and he saves us, he just makes a refurbished us. He just kind of cleans up and patches up the bad parts of us. We're still that bad person, but with just a little bit better, newer parts. No, my Bible says in second Corinthians chapter five and verse 17, that anyone who is in Christ is a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He gives you a new mind. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new future. He gives you a new life. It's not a refurbished life. It's not a used life. It's not a dirty life that got cleaned up and polished up. He gives you a brand new stinking life. But see, God, God forgave. 
you of your debt and your sin. But shame will cause you to still meditate and think about what you've done even after God's forgotten about it. You know the Bible says in Psalms that he removes your sin from you as far as east is from west and he no longer remembers it? God forgets your sin. Problem is it's not as easy for us to forget. And it's like a DVD that has a skip on it that just keeps playing the same scene over and over and over again. It's like a broken record. We keep replaying this scene in our head, the thing that we did last summer, the thing that happened. Oh my gosh, the things that I said to my mom, the issue that happened in the family, the bad relationship. We keep playing the scene, the addiction, the bondage, the thing that we used to do, the stuff that we used to do privately that nobody knew about. We keep replaying it like a skip in a DVD. If the enemy can't get you to abandon the faith then he will do his best to cause you to live a miserable, shameful, guilt-ridden life as you grow up in church, as you try to serve Jesus. If he can't get you to totally abandon the faith and walk away from God, then the devil's going to try to get you to be so miserable, feel so guilty, so that you would never think that you would have a platform for ministry on your sports team. So you would never think that God could use you and the creative gift that he gave you as a poet, as a writer. You would never think that God could use you as a young entrepreneur to make money to help fund the kingdom of God and some of the justice projects that are being featured at this conference. That that the enemy would get you to think that he could never use you to preach truth to a generation because you have sinned and you're full of shame. Shame is like It's like when you buy that brand new shirt and you saved up money. Come on, you babysat a lot of kids to get enough money. You mowed enough lawns and you finally get enough money and you get that one shirt that you just like how you look good. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. Where you wear a large but you go for the medium because it makes your muscles look bigger. (laughs) Guys, don't you look away like you don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, medium, what are you talking about, man? just getting bigger. No, you're not getting bigger. The shirts are getting smaller, baby. Come on. Go home to your closet full of mediums. Got your medium on. Hey, ladies. Check out that. You're just stretching. You're... Oh. Can I help you with something over there? You got your shirt that you love? Girls, you got your shirt that makes you look so good. You tried it on like five times before the sale finally came. And then you went in. Come on, how many sale shoppers are in the house? You're like, I'm getting the sale. Yeah, yeah. Get daddy's credit card. Thanks, dad. Just tell him when he comes home from work. Thanks, dad, for what? Oh, nothing. (laughs) Like my shirt? Thanks, dad. You go buy your favorite shirt. And then you go, you decide to wait till the right time to wear that shirt. Come on, how many, how many like to save your new clothes for like the right night? You know what I'm saying? See, that's how I am. I don't just like put it on right away. My wife does that. She buys something. She practically wears it out of the store. The tag's still flapping in the back. The sticker is on the back of the jeans. You know what I'm saying? Like, honey, let me rip off the sticker. But I'll wait. You know, you wait for the right occasion. Maybe it's when you're going out with all your friends. 
Maybe there's somebody you want to impress. Maybe it's the right day at school where your hair just does the right thing. And you're like, man, I look gorgeous. This is the shirt day. Today's, today's the shirt day. Gosh, I look good. Got so much swag. Look at me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Just quoting scripture over yourself. Mm. Come on, girls. You're like, God, you made Eve. And then you thought you could do better. And you made me. Hallelujah. You know? So it's the perfect day. It's a sunny day. The lighting is just right for you, you know. Your acne problem has subsided for a day. It's giving you a break. <laughs> and it's a good hair day. They don't always happen. You got your jeans that make you look good. You put that shirt on. This is your shirt day. You, it's the debut of the shirt. And you can't wait. And, and before you even get to school, there's already been 10 different people that have complimented you on your new shirt. You thought, oh my goodness, this is it. You Instagram a picture of yourself on the shirt. Like, hey, YOLO. <laughs> and then something totally tragic, even demonic happens. You're at lunch with your friends and you're just laughing. You're feeling so confident because of your new shirt and you're at lunch eating your favorite meal with your friends and you're just kind of, you know, dipping fries in your fry sauce, having some Chick-fil-A baby. Come on, they're going to serve that in heaven. Mark my words, when we get to heaven, that'll be served at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think it's in the Bible. Thou shalt have Chick-fil-A. It's, it's amazing. I had it as soon as I got off the airplane today. I'm like, Chick-fil-A. My, my taste buds gave each other high fives. It was revival in my mouth. We don't, we don't have it in Seattle. We haven't received the revelation yet. Pray for us. You're eating with your friends, and all of a sudden, something totally tragic and demonic happens as you're eating. Maybe you've got a salad in front of you. You're trying to be healthy. But the dressing that's on the salad is an oil base. It pains me to say what I'm about to say. But there's that moment where you've got some food item on your fork and some sauce or dressing on that and at the last second, you're laughing and you're so confident. You're like, yeah, everybody loves me. And all of a sudden, the piece of food with the sauce on it decides to lose fellowship from the fork. They're, they're, they're supposed to stay together. But they had an argument. And it was like a, like a church split or something. I know something happened. And that food item leaps off of your fork and decides to land right on that new shirt. I know it hurts. It hurts. I'm sorry. And everybody at the table sucks air. <gasps> the new shirt. And at first you're like, it's okay, it's okay. You grab your napkin, you, you dab it in your water. You don't even care. You dab it in your friend's water. And you, you just start 
working on that stain. Come on, we've all had to, don't worry, it'll come out, it'll come out. When your mind thinking, oh my gosh, it's oil-based, I don't know. And it seems to be getting bigger. Do I dab it? Do I blot it? Do I rub hard? What do I do? You Google on your phone, home remedies. Oh my gosh, it says put salt on it, put vinegar on it, put in a bathtub with baking soda and tomato juice. I don't know. How do I get the shirt? You start freaking out. It seems to get bigger and bigger. Now you've got this big wet spot on your shirt, so you have to go into the restroom and hit the dryer thing, and you're under the dryer trying to... People are coming in. (laughs) There's the stall. (laughs) I'm just drying my whole body. (laughs) You're embarrassed. You're humiliated. It's your favorite shirt. You're starting to lose hope. For the rest of the day, you're coming up, you go home, and you try to launder this thing. And you start barking orders at your mom, the master launderer. Mother, get out the stain stick. Get out the sprays. Oxyclean that thing. Come on, whatever it takes. And you launder it three times in one night, and yet that stain does not seem to come out. And you've realized you only got one use out of the shirt. Some of you forgot what I was preaching about, but I'm going somewhere with the story. <laughs> it's your fault. You got me so into that story. But to wear that shirt again, you realize that you'd have to, you'd have to try to cover up the stain. You'd have to walk all day with your arms crossed. You know what I mean? To wear that shirt again, you realize it's a lost cause. You don't want everybody seeing that stain. It makes you feel like you've got to be secretive about the stain. You realize you've lost that shirt. You know what? This is exactly how shame works. Shame makes you feel like you're walking around every day with stains on your shirt that everybody can see. And you're trying to cover it up. See, shame will lead to silence. And silence will lead to secrecy. Secrecy leads you to solitude, separation. I'm going to say that again. I'll break it down in a second. Shame leads to silence, and silence leads to secrecy, and secrecy leads to solitude. Shame is the very thing that caused Adam and Eve to hide in the garden when God was coming, after they had sinned. They fell to shame. They were naked. They were ashamed, and they hid themselves. See, shame leads to silence because... I believe shame is so toxic to our worship, so toxic to the power we have in prayer. Because as soon as shame sets in, all of a sudden you don't want to sing anymore because you're so focused on your shame. You don't feel like lifting your hands because you remember the shameful things that your hands have done. You don't want to give God your life and worship because you know your life has been given to other things. And so instead you just kind of give half worship. You just kind of stand there and maybe sing or hum a little bit and you keep your hands in your pockets. Shame leads to silence. It leads to silence in your prayer life. You don't want to talk to God anymore because you feel ashamed and unworthy. Like you're not worthy to approach him. Like you're not worthy to even talk to him. Like maybe, maybe God didn't see what happened. So I'm just not going to bring it up with him. We get silent at church and in our small groups and fellowship with other believers. In fact, we don't even have true fellowship. 
Because the Bible says in 1 John, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. What that means is when you're truly in the light, when you can be open and free, that's when you really have true fellowship with other people. When you can talk to other believers about every part of your life that's going on, come on, everything that's happening, but shame causes you to be silent. You don't want to tell even your best friends about the shameful things that you've done. So you lose fellowship. You lose accountability. You lose your ability to pray. You lose your ability to worship God. And now the enemy, even though he hasn't caused you to totally abandon the faith, has caused you to abandon the mission on your life, the mission as a worshiper, the mission as a preacher of the gospel, the mission as a prayer warrior, the mission to make noise. I don't want the rocks to start doing what we're supposed to be doing. I don't want other things in creation to have to start doing uh, what they're going to do, what, what we're supposed to be doing because God has given us the mission to open up our mouth and to be loud and to give him praise and to give him glory and to come on. Listen, I believe tonight in a few moments when we pray, I believe as Jesus sets a generation free from shame, there are going to be young leaders that are raised up here tonight, young leaders that have kind of been sleepers, that have been under the radar. Nobody would know that this person was a leader, but it's because the bondage and the weight of shame and guilt and condemnation has weighed them down and caused them not to have a voice. Well, there's a voice that is rising up tonight at this desperation conference. There's a voice in some junior hires that is going to cause them to rise up out of the midst of shame and say, no, I've got power in his name. I will not be identified by my shame. I will be identified by the power of the name of Jesus and I will have a voice in my generation. I believe there are leaders here tonight, worship leaders and pastors and preachers who will be born. Who will be born tonight in this place as shame is broken off of your life. Joshua has a job. He's got a task in front of him to take all these people, this new generation, into the promised land. Moses is dead. Previous generation has died off. They hung out in the wilderness. When they should have been worshiping, they were whining. That's a whole nother message. They were in the wilderness, so Josh and the new generation, they can see the promised land. It's right across the river. They can see it. They can see their destiny. The only thing separating them from their destiny is a river called the Jordan River. Now stay with me as we go into some Bible for a moment. It's going to change your life. Jordan and the, uh, Joshua and the children of Israel can see their destiny. But this river, it's not just a little river. We read it. In verse 15, it said that it actually overflowed its banks. It was a flooding river. It had flooded during the harvest time. I don't know about you, but when I see news reports of floods in different parts of the world, I never see people wanting to approach the flood and try to cross it. I always see people running away from the flood. Right? But isn't it like God to tell the people, you know what? It looks impossible. It looks crazy. God could have picked any other time of the year. He picked the year, the time of the year when it was flooding, the river was flooding, where it was most impossible because he gets the glory. God looks at impossibilities and he looks at them as opportunities to show off and say, I'm going to get the glory in this thing. They're looking at this flooding river. 
It's called Jordan. That name Jordan in the original Hebrew means river of judgment. It means to be brought down or brought low. To cast down. When you look up the original definition, to cast down. This Jordan River is a picture of condemnation. It's a type of guilt. It's a type of shame, judgment for your sin. Interestingly enough, as I was studying this, I decided to flip to the map in the back of my Bible. Come on, how many ever looked at the map in your Bible? I finally got some use out of the maps. It's the map, it's the map, it's the map, it's the map. Sorry, I got little kids, all right? Dora rocks, swipe or no swiping, okay? I looked in the maps, and I found out the Jordan River, you know where it ends? It ends in a really encouraging sea called the Dead Sea. Yeah, vacation spot. I'm sure it's awesome. Let's go to the Dead Sea. Jordan River ends at the Dead Sea, and as I was studying the Jordan, the fact that it represents judgment and condemnation, I realized that this flooding river is facing all of us here tonight because there's something that's holding you back maybe from your destiny. Maybe you can see who God wants you to be. Maybe you can see where God wants you to go, but you feel like something is holding you back. What's your Jordan that is holding you back tonight? That Jordan, that shame, that guilt, that judgment that wants to wash you away and ultimately leave you at the Dead Sea. It ultimately wants to kill you. It ultimately wants to kill your vision. It wants to kill your joy. It wants to kill your faith. That, that Jordan wants to sweep you all the way down into the Dead Sea. How are we going to cross this Jordan? Some of you are being flooded tonight by a Jordan. A Jordan called fear. A Jordan called lust. A Jordan called bitterness and resentment. What's your Jordan represent tonight? Some of you that have been offended, that have been angry at a family member for years, maybe angry at your dad who left your mom years ago and you haven't been able to forgive. And your Jordan is that bitterness and that resentment that's in your heart tonight. Flooded with anger. Flooded with shame, flooded with lust, flooded with fear and intimidation, flooded with doubt. What's your Jordan represent? But look what God does. He says, Josh, this is what I want you to do. I want you to have the priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't know what that means, it's, it's the very presence of God. When the priest wanted to talk to, the, to God on behalf of the people, they go into the Holy of Holies, and the Holy Place, and they would talk to God, the Ark of the Covenant. The priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. Josh had them go down to the river and step their feet into the edge of this flooding river. Can you imagine? Those guys were probably sweating. Okay, Josh said to do this. This was crazy. Here we go. And as they went down and stepped their feet into this flooding river called Jordan, something supernatural happened. All of a sudden, the water stops. It stops up in a heap. Not only does it stop, but it says that it backs up river. 
and it backs up all the way to this city called Adam. And all of a sudden, what was a flooding river becomes dry ground. Are you getting this? And all of Israel is freaking out. Right? I would be freaking out. I would be shouting. I might be shouting words that I can't say in church. I don't know, but I would be freaking out. The priests step into the river. It stops, and it not only stops, but it reverses all the way back up to a city called Adam. And now Israel can cross safely across dry ground. And this is what God spoke to me. I'm telling you something. Listen to me, young people, tonight. I'm almost done. Even as those high priests, even as those priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people to step in to the flooding river of judgment, we have a high priest. We have a high priest. Hebrews 9.11 says we, we have a high priest. And guess what his name is? His name's Jesus. And Jesus doesn't carry the presence of God. He is the presence of God. And Jesus is our high priest. Watch this, watch this. Jesus is our high priest that goes before us to the judgment that you and I ought to face because of our sin, the judgment for our lust, the judgment for our fear, the judgment for our anger, the judgment for everything that we've ever done wrong that's flowing in front of us, reminding us that we can't get to our destiny. And Jesus says, no, 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 enough is enough. And a savior steps in to that water. He steps into the judgment. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to allow the water to hit me so it doesn't have to hit my children. I'm going to receive the judgment of sin upon a cross so that judgment doesn't have to come upon a generation, but instead mercy can triumph over judgment. And Jesus, our high priest, stepped into that flood of your life, that flood of shame, and stopped it. Not only did he stop sin, but he reversed that curse, baby. He reversed it. Sin came in with a... Sorry, I get so excited. Sin came in. It says the, the river, when it backed up all the way to a city called Adam. I thought that's crazy because sin came in with a man named Adam and a woman named Eve. And I'm telling you, from the moment sin came in, there were generations of sin, this Adamic race of sin. But when Jesus steps in on the scene, he backs up that river, baby, all the way to Adam. Somebody ought to shout. Somebody... Are, are, you, are you feeling me tonight? I, I'm telling you, this is better than Red Bull. It's better than Latte. It's better than watching the Avengers for the fifth time. I'm telling you something. When, Jesus, when I think about the fact that the priest stepped into that water and the children of Israel, they didn't, they didn't march across muddy ground like you would expect if a river stopped. There was no mud. God sucked the moisture out of the soiled the bedrock foundation of that river and took all the moisture so it was dry ground. I'm telling you, that's what Jesus does when he steps, when you allow a savior to step in to your shame, he doesn't only stop the shame, but he stops, uh, sucks all the moisture, residue, anything that was left from that shame so there's no effect of it on you anymore because he took it on himself on the cross. You see, most of us feel shame because we think God's mad at us. 
You know what's interesting? Is that when Jesus didn't just take your sin, but he, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. He didn't just take your sin from you. He became sin. When he became sin, the wrath of God was poured out on his son. God doesn't have wrath for you when you're in Christ. Some of you need to hear this. God doesn't have wrath for you. God doesn't, he's not angry, he's not upset. He no longer has a record of all the things that you did your whole life. No, he got rid of that. The moment you stepped in to Christ, the moment you clothed yourself in Christ, and because he poured his wrath out on his son, all he has to pour out on you is mercy and love and grace. When you allow Jesus to step in, he sets you free from shame. He sets you free from a false identity, a lie from hell that told you you're dirty, that told you you're unworthy, that told you you're not good enough, that told you, oh, I'm such a sinner, I'm such a sinner. You know what? All of us have sinned. But in the New Testament, when Paul visits every church, he doesn't say to the sinners in Galatia, to the sinners in Ephesus, to the sinners in Coloss. He says to the saints, because there's a new identity that comes on your life. Yes, we've sinned. Yes, we've messed up. But God doesn't look at you as some perverted, evil, wicked person. When he looks at you, you see your sin. But God looks at you and he sees his son. When you look at yourself, you see your failures. God looks at you and he sees the blood of Jesus. He sees success. He sees nothing but good. He's forgotten the sins of yesterday. He's made you a new creation. Even the sins that you haven't committed yet, even things that you will do in your future, God already knows and he still loves you and he still pours his grace on you and he still has his best for you. That's all he has is the best for you. You need to know who you are in Christ before you can ever do anything for Christ. Don't get all excited about doing stuff for God if you don't know who you are in God. Young college-age student, university student, those that are in the, the DLA, stop asking God, okay, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? Start saying, Lord, every day, show me who I'm becoming in you. Show me who I'm supposed to be. And what you do will flow out of who you are. And your identity doesn't come anymore from shame. Your identity comes from his name. It's like my kids, they carry my name. They didn't have to do anything. It's not like they had to work for me a certain number of hours before I would say, okay, now you're a waters. My son never had to do anything for me. He didn't have to jump through hoops and try to impress dad so I could say, okay, you're good enough now. All right, son, you're six now. You've done a lot of good things now. I'll give you my name. You're a Waters. He didn't have to do anything. He was born a Waters. And when you are born again in Christ, your identity doesn't come 
the name, the power of the name Jesus doesn't, isn't granted to you because you try to do good things and be a churchy person and memorize and make your Bible into a coloring book. And now God, look at me. I've got colored scriptures. Am I good enough now? Before you memorized one verse, before you knew any verse except John three sixteen, and you like massacred that one trying to repeat it to somebody. Before you knew any of these worship courses, you were a brand new baby in Christ. I'm telling you something. From that moment, the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, everything that comes with the name of Jesus came on your life. This is who you are. This is your identity. Your identity is not in who you used to be. Your identity is not in your past. It's not in the shame. It's not in the guilt. Your identity is in the name of Jesus. And once you realize that shame's been broken and the power of his name is now alive in your life. I'm telling you, you won't be able to stop a room full of young people like this from opening up their mouth and declaring the wonderful works of God in their generation. Somebody ought to shout. Are you feeling me over here? Man, I forget how big this room is. My God. I'm not trying to leave you out. I like this section. You guys might be the best looking section. It's just because the light's on them. I can't see you guys, all right? I'm telling you something. Your identity is not wrapped up in the person you slept with this last year at school. Young lady, your identity's not wrapped up in what happened at the abortion clinic that you went to. Young man, your identity is not wrapped up in the hundreds of times that you looked at pornographic images on your phone. Young woman, your identity's not wrapped up in what that babysitter did to you when you were a little kid. Young man, your identity is not wrapped up in the hurtful things that your dad said to you before he left your family. Young woman, your identity is not wrapped up in the image that those magazines try to tell you you're supposed to look like. And all you see is something ugly in the mirror. Tonight, I believe, in a few moments, see, this shame is connected to so many other hurts and issues in your heart. There are dozens and dozens of young people here that have been cutting themselves, afflicting pain to themselves. There's a girl sitting here tonight. You've, you always wear long sleeves to cover up the cutting, the cutting, the destruction that's happening in your life that nobody else knows about. There are young men that are so tormented here tonight because you hate pornography. But the more you feel guilty and shameful about it, the more you seek out pleasure to ease the pain. And it's a vicious cycle of going back to pleasure. A false, counterfeit, fake pleasure that the enemy throws out there called porn. 
but you go to it to try to feel good for a few moments, but then you end up feeling worse. So you go to feel good again, but then you feel worse, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. To the young lady tonight, you can't remember the last time you looked at yourself in a mirror and thought, wow, God did an amazing job. You've bought into a lie for years and years that you're ugly, that God must have messed up. You compare yourself to every other girl you come in contact with. Jesus is going to deliver you tonight. Jesus is going to deliver you tonight. He's going to set you free. The young man that's addicted to smoking that substance, he can set you free tonight. The young woman that's addicted to approval, he can set you free tonight. What's your Jordan that's holding you back? Will you get honest with yourself? Will you allow this night not to be in vain? Not to be just another church night? Not just to be another conference night? But would you get real tonight? And realize that many of us here, hundreds of us in this room, look like my little Dodge Neon sitting on a beach. We're trying hard for God. We're trying hard. We're trying hard. And we've just been stuck. We've been stuck in shame. We've been stuck in some of these issues that I've already called out. But tonight, you're going to let the Savior step in. You're going to quit struggling and striving to get yourself out of your mess, and you're going to let the Savior step in. You're going to let the Savior step in with every head bowed and every eye closed. The young man that was playing the keys earlier, if he's here, it would be awesome to have you come back up. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There's leaders, preachers, history makers being born tonight. I feel it. I feel it. I feel it. Shame has held you down. It's been holding you underwater. Right now, under the sound of my voice, all over this auditorium, talking to students, junior high, high school, college age, I'm talking to leaders, interns, maybe even some youth pastors that need this tonight. Youth pastors that even feel like a failure. And your identity's been wrapped up in how many students you have in your ministry rather than having your identity wrapped up in what Jesus says about you. Whatever your Jordan is, whatever's flooding your life, tonight if you're in a desperate place, You're tired of being silenced. You're tired of the 
guilt and the weight of shame. You're tired of taking on an identity that does not line up with the Word of God. A perception of yourself that is wrapped up in who you used to be. Wrapped up in your mistakes and failures. Whatever your Jordan is. If tonight you're ready to be set free from shame. Set free from shame so you can have a voice again. Set free from shame so you can have some praise again. Set free from shame so you can have some prayer. So you can get that preach that's been on the inside of you waiting to get out. Set free tonight. If you're ready for a Savior to step in on the count of three all over this auditorium, I want you to stand to your feet from the front to the back of this room. Come on, if you're ready for a Savior to step in to your Jordan, whatever's flooding, whatever issue there is right now, one, two, three. Come on, I want you to, I want you to step, stand up. Don't just stand up because a friend's standing up. This is for you tonight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. They do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that is weak in the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Might be fulfilled in us. There's no condemnation. There's no more condemnation. There's no more condemnation. condemnation no more condemnation this is what I want you to do getting a prophetic picture tonight (laughs) we've been on one side of the river for so long been held back so long seeing the goodness of God seeing what God could do but not even really believing it anymore because we've been so intimidated staring at this this river this flooding issue that seems to hold us back but tonight as you stood up I could see a savior step in Tonight I see a Savior stepping into your pain. I see a Savior stepping in to your bitterness. I see a Savior stepping into your anger. I see a Savior stepping in. And this is what I want us to do as we, as quickly as we stood up in a moment. I'm going to ask you, and I don't even know if we have room for everybody because I can tell a lot of people are standing but I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat and move forward but before you do before you do before you come up here to the front let me explain to you what I'm seeing in the spirit right now I'm seeing as that savior stepped in that high priest steps in the water he clears away and the last verse of chapter 3 said all of Israel came across everybody 
The priests waited for everybody. They left no man behind. And as you get out of your seats in a moment, as you walk, the simple thing, maybe you've done it a hundred times, walking forward to some kind of an altar call. Well, tonight, there's something different about this. As you're walking forward, I want you to picture yourself following Jesus, your high priest, across that impossible situation, across that flooding issue, triumphing over that flood that has held you back for so long and walking across dry ground into your destiny as you come down tonight in a few mo- in just a- seconds in just seconds and when i release you when you come down tonight i'm telling you you are stepping down into a new you you are stepping into your destiny as you follow your high priest your savior jesus across that river you are stepping in to that promise that blessing that thing that he's called you to do some of you vision is going to come alive dreams that have been in your heart that have been suppressed for years are going to come alive you're going to get visions and dreams of what god is going to do in you and through you and i'm telling you there's going to be a new praise there's going to be a new voice there's going to be a new shout on the inside side of you, a shout that was suppressed for years by shame, but tonight shame is being broken so your shout comes back, your praise comes back, your preach comes back, your prayer comes back. There's something different about tonight. Come on, on the count of three, 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 I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to come down the front, even if you're backed up into the aisles, wherever you, you gotta, you gotta move, and when you move, I want you to begin to release some praise and release before we even sing a song. I want you to just begin to start praising. I want you to begin to open your mouth. Come on, one. Come on, get ready to get out of your seats. Two. Come on, three. Begin to move right now. And as you move, as you move, come on, as you move, you're walking, you're following your Savior. A Savior stepped in on your behalf. Come on, you've got to praise. I want you to find somewhere up here. And I want you, when you get up here, I want you just to close your eyes. Come on, I want you to close your eyes.